Why are you making that face? I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just thinking about how many times we're going to say vagina in this episode. Yeah, it's going to be a lot. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 17 years, Liz. That's me, Liz Kraft, also a TV writer and producer living in L.A., On this podcast, we talk about what it's like to be writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career in friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. Today, we'll discuss the importance of asking for what you want. And it's Self-Improvement September. A big part of self-improvement is taking care of ourselves and being healthy. So we're going to talk to OBGYN to the stars, Dr. Sherry Ross, about women's intimate health and about Hollywood vaginas, which are... Of course, no different than non-Hollywood vaginas. Yes, Sarah, I'm, I'm very excited to ask her about vaginal steaming. Oh, God. <laughs> which is the ultimate in Hollywood yes. in, in the vagina category. Uh, but before we get into all that and the rest <laughs> of our show, we wanted to mention that my sister Gretchen Rubin's new book is finally out. It's called The Four Tendencies, The Indispensable Personality Profiles That Reveal How to Make Your Life Better and Other People's Lives Better, Too. I'm so excited for her book. It's really great. And one thing that's interesting is I think a lot of people assume because we talk about the four tendencies on the Happier podcast all the time mm-hmm. that they know all about the four tendencies and they don't need this book. But I can tell you there's a lot more in the book that we haven't even gotten to on the podcast. So I, I highly recommend it. Yes, I have been reading it. It's definitely going to make my life better and other people's lives, too. So <laughs> let us know. Obviously, people will be emailing the Happier podcast, but let us know, too. I'm curious. Okay, Liz, it's time for our segment from the treadmill desks of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And right now it's the notion of asking for what you want. Yes, it may seem like an obvious concept, but I bet most people rarely ask for what they want. I know it's hard for us, although we've definitely gotten better at it over the years, at least in our professional lives. Yes, we have. And the reason it's been on our minds lately is because we had to ask for something that we wanted, dare I say, needed. Desperately needed. Um, And we got it. It made our lives much better. That mystery thing was... um, (laughs) New deadlines on some of our projects. Yes. We, after you sell a pilot, they go through this process of like, okay, this is when you turn in the story area. This is when you turn in the outline. This is when you turn in the first draft. And we got that sheet of paper with the dates on it and just like, Meltdown. I mean, our eyes exploded and our brains exploded and everything exploded. And we knew that it was just absolutely not possible. But usually, I think we would be the kind of people who are like, okay, well, we'll just, I mean, we'll probably die, but that's okay. We'll do it anyway. Yes, because speaking of Gretchen's book, The Four Tendencies, about these personality types, we're obligers, and that means we like to meet outer expectations. (laughs) And when people give us a deadline, we like to meet it. we meet it, yes. But we just knew it couldn't happen, and we didn't want, it was like we couldn't even think because we had so much pressure. Yeah to get it done that we were like almost paralyzed creatively. Yes, it was so unrealistic. So we made the phone call, the difficult phone call that usually we would not have made and said, let's talk about this. We really are going to need more time. This is why. 
And we got more time. Yes, and no one had a problem with it. Everyone understood completely why we needed more time, and it was absolutely fine. And now we are making great progress, I think, because we don't feel that axe over our necks. Yes. What we need, you know, obviously in our jobs is different from what other people need. Like, for instance, we did a pilot in New York, I guess it was maybe two years ago now. Mm -hmm. And we knew from our past experience of having done a pilot in Budapest that we had to bring our own assistant with us on location And a lot of times, you know, that's a kind of dicey negotiation because it costs a lot of money to bring an assistant. But we knew we needed it. And we said, we have to ask for this. We have to get it before we agree to produce this pilot. And we got it. And it made everything so much better. Plus, Brooke was an extra in the pilot because she was so tall and gorgeous, and it was a pilot about models. So she really needed to be there. Yes, our former assistant, Brooke, (laughs) uh, was all over that pilot, which didn't end up going to series, but we had a great time making it. And so it's like, what do you need in your job? You know, it's like if you're a teacher, you may need a certain piece of equipment for your classroom, like an overhead projector, or you may need a whiteboard. If you're in any kind of job where you have to take people to lunch as part of your job, you might need an expense account. You might need a bigger expense account than you have. There's always things that you need. And it's like if you don't ask for them, uh, newsflash, you won't get them. Right. And sometimes there are things that you need more for your emotional health than a specific logistical job thing. Like when we were on The Shield, Everyone had their parking spaces that were close to the building, but we had parking spaces <laughs> in uh, Siberia. It's literally Siberia. It was insane. And emotionally, it just like made us feel crummy every day to be parking so far away when everyone else had their like producer parking spaces. And we were like, well, we're. We were, we're co producers. Yeah, we're co producers for Pete's sake. Um, and then we were. When did we get Which, our for anyone spaces? who doesn't know, is the lowest level of producer. Yeah. When did we ask? Did we wait a year or did we ask no, pretty I early believe on? No, I believe it was maybe two weeks in. It wasn't long. It wasn't long. We didn't wait long. We asked for our due. Um, and we did get, we got moved. We got the spaces. Yes, we did. And it just made us feel like we were more a part of the group and a yes. valued members of the staff. Absolutely. And since then, yeah, parking is an issue. We don't accept parking. That is not what we feel it should be. (laughs) (laughs) Now, one thing, Sarah, we have not asked for, which I think is the next evolution, is vacation. Oh, we, you know, it is so hard for us to take vacation. As we've discussed, our schedulers are unpredictable and they don't match up to the school year and all of these Mm -hmm. things. And like, for instance, Sean Ryan, our beloved old boss on The Shield, he got to a point where he just said, every June I'm going away for a week to Hawaii. Like it or not, that's just what's happening. Yeah. Because otherwise he would never have taken a family vacation. And Well, and the schedule also of TV means that we are in the hardest part of our job while kids are out of school. Yes. Like shows start in May – you're writing May, June, July, starting to shoot in, like, July, August. Yes. So, like, that is prime family time, and it just gets ripped away. Yes. So I'm just putting it out there. So okay. right now, I want us to ponder next year Okay. establishing that we're taking a summer vacation. Just I putting like it, it out there. I think a week is not enough. Uh, well, okay. We'll negotiate we'll t- that we'll between talk. ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, now, of course, you do have to walk a fine line, especially when you're first starting out, yeah. because you don't want to be demanding things that are not reasonable, that right. don't seem fair, that aren't appropriate for whatever your level is. So just be careful what you ask for. You don't want to be a diva. Right. Or perceived as such or whatever the male term is for diva. <laughs> Speaking of yeah. male term for diva, one thing that I do think is true is that it's harder for women to ask for what we want than it is for men to ask for what they want. And yeah. this theme is always coming up and I feel like a broken record, but it's true. It's sadly true. Yeah. So yeah. women ask for what you want because like, for instance, the whole money thing that men make more money than women, they ask for more money, you know. Yeah. So if you don't ask for it, if you don't ask for that raise, no one's going to knock on your door and just say, hey, raise. Right. And part of that is that they think they deserve more money. Yes. And women are less likely to think they deserve it. So step one, let's remind ourselves that we deserve it. We're yes, worth it. Absolutely. And look, you're helping people by asking for what you want, whether it's the right salary or the expense account or, you know, a door on your office or <laughs> whatever it may be. It's like if you can do a better job, you will be more valuable for your company. And also people value people who value themselves. Yes. I mean, we have learned that time and time again. The more we would roll over in a job the less valued, the less respected, the less respected you are. You have to stand up for yourself. And if you say, hey, this is what I need, people go, okay, well, that makes sense. It's not like, you know, <laughs> right. so um, it's really good both for your, I think, moving forward in your career and your mental health to ask for what you want. Yes, absolutely. And then there's also asking for what you want in your personal life. But that is a whole different discussion. A complicated one <laughs> yes. with many pitfalls. Yes. So we'll ask, we'll tackle that one another day. Yeah. Um, do you ask for what you want or do you just accept what's given? We want to hear your stories. So email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY21. Next up, we'll get up close and personal with Dr. Sherry Ross, OBGYN and doctor to the stars. But first, a word from our sponsor. Today, we've invited Dr. Sherry Ross, the award-winning author of Sheology, the Definitive Guide to Women's Intimate Health, period, to talk to us about lady stuff. Now, to the guys out there, this impacts you too, so listen up. But Heads up to everyone, we're going to be saying the word vagina a lot. We're not saying vajayjay or hoo-hoo or lady bits or... Or down there. <laughs> down there, <laughs> yes. We are going to be saying vagina. Dr. Sherry has been a practicing OBGYN for 25 years in Santa Monica, California. In addition to her medical practice, Dr. Sherry sits on the boards of Planned Parenthood Los Angeles, Beauty Gives Back, and Fertile Action. Dr. Sherry has been featured in publications including Teen Vogue, Mind Body Green, The Huffington Post, Glamour, and Marie Claire. Reese Witherspoon says about Dr. Sherry, Honestly, I have never met a person more passionate about women's health care. No one is more knowledgeable, in my opinion. No one cares more about women's health than Dr. Sherry Ross. Dr. Sherry's mission is to change the narrative of how women talk and learn about their intimate health and overall well-being. That's why we're having her on the episode today. For Self-Improvement September, we're challenging ourselves to do better and really go there when it comes to talking about women's health, even though it can be very personal. 
Welcome, Dr. Sherry. Thank you so much for being here today. We're so happy to have you here. I am so happy to be here. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Well, look, we love your book because it covers everything having to do with the vagina and vagina-related health issues through all phases of a woman's life. Yes, yes. And, you know, it gets into, of course, a lot of serious topics, some of which we'll get to, but we want to start out a little bit lighter and talk about, you know, what makes a Hollywood vagina, since we are in Hollywood. (laughs) And one of the things that comes up quite often, like um, in pop culture, is this whole notion of vaginal steaming. I'm just going there. Might as well. Right. I'm just diving in because that's been the pressing question. (laughs) And people love to talk about vagina steaming. They do. Uh, They do, right? They want to know what Gwyneth does. Yes. Yes. You know, it's so interesting because, you know, the Mayan women and traditional healers have been steaming their vagina way before Gwyneth Paltrow was doing it. (laughs) It wasn't really her secret to a healthy vagina. And what was done is they used to use a mugwort steaming, and it used to treat, so they say, the legend has it, bladder infections, uterine mm. fibroids, infertility, oh. you name it, it treated it. And really, the medical studies don't support that as really having any validity. But, you know, vaginal steaming has concerns for me because I find it similar to douching, oh, or yeah. at least it could potentially have damage and harm to the vagina if it gets rid of all our good, happy bacteria that keep the vagina very clean. Right, because the pH balance is very specific in the vagina, right? So if you mess with that, you can suddenly create all kinds of problems. All sorts of infections. And that's really the problem with steaming uh, that you have concerns with. Listen, I believe a healthy vagina needs the same hygienic attention as any other part of our body. Certainly, it's similar to our face. We have to treat the vagina in the same way we take care of our face. We just don't do it. So what should we do to clean our vagina? Well, for one just thing— soap and water? Yeah. For one thing, you need to use a non-fragrant soap every day on the vagina, you know, between the urine and the sweat and the bacteria build up, you have to take really good care of the skin of the vagina. So you have to use soap and water. And I don't know who started the vagina self-cleaning rumor. I mean, certainly for the very much inside of the vagina, but people have taken it to the step where they don't put anything on the vagina except water. Mm, Not a good thing. Not a good thing. And I know immediately when I start doing pelvic exams, who's been listening to their grandma too much. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it's interesting because there's there are actually in your book, there are links to, like you can get links to pictures. I think I have the, um, yes. the Kindle book. And so there are links to pictures of vaginas with a variety of I'll Good say and it. bad mm-hmm. things. Yeah, smegma. Women yeah. get it too. I couldn't yeah. make myself yeah. say it. Sorry. <laughs> Vagina rolled off your tongue very easily. Smegma on the <laughs> other so hand, much. not so much. <laughs> well, it's true. And it's uh, you really have to take the same care of the vagina as you do your face. And don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid to wash it. I go into detail with a lot of my young patients about using soap and water on the labia and at the entrance and actually going into the vagina about first or second knuckle on your finger. Okay. And you can clean in there. I mean, it's okay. It's not going to cause a yeast or bacteria infection, but yes, it can. You have to be careful with the bacteria that do keep the inside vagina clean. 
And I want to know, I mean, I just dove right in with the vaginal steaming because it's, you know, <laughs> been my pressing question. But, I mean, you are a Hollywood doctor, doctor to the stars. Is there anything different about, like, the celebrity women and what they do? Like, are they jazzling? Are they all <laughs> totally waxed? Yeah, I mean, or what? Pierced or pierced. Yeah, yeah, you know, what, like, or are they just like the rest of us? Yeah. I, you know, I have HIPAA. That protects my patients. <laughs> yes. uh, but the truth is all vaginas are, are very much the same. And I think what makes sort of the most beautiful vaginas I've seen is someone that really has the confidence and comfort with them, their own bodies. Mm. You know, it has nothing to do with what you do for a living. Mm -hmm. Hollywood vaginas have the same insecurities as non-Hollywood vaginas. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, you know, and when I had my celebrities introducing chapters and I chose them very carefully because I wanted to really humanize them mm -hmm. yes. and make them seem like, listen, we all have postpartum depression and Brooke Shields yeah. happily speaks about it. Uh, you know, different celebrities. Vicki Iving does a great job introducing the divorce V because she went through it. And you can really feel that coming through their introductions. And I do think celebrities talking about this does make an actual difference because so many women, you know, don't want to go to the gynecologist, don't get pap smears, don't get mammograms. And I mean, they could kill them. So it's exactly. an extremely important thing to do. Yeah. So moving on to, we're getting more serious now, um, moving mm -hmm. on to a topic that many women struggle with, including both of us. Yes. Um, fertility. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got pregnant immediately when I was 38. So it was like instant, no problem. I thought, okay, great. I'm good, you know, to have a second baby after 40. It won't be a problem. Even though my OB kept telling me, <laughs> Liz, you women in L.A. think you can get pregnant after 40 and it might not happen. But I thought, oh, well, worst case, I'll do IVF. Well, you know, cut to age 42. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I couldn't even get an egg yes. to do IVF. So yes. it's like after two years of treatment, I finally just said, OK, I'm not getting an egg. I Luckily, I have one child, so I'm good. Yes. But I was really shocked because I thought, here I am so educated. My OB was telling me, Great. Liz, <laughs> this is a problem. And yet I still ignored her. And we hear so many women in our lives ignoring this. And I think it's confusing because if you pick up People magazine and you see the latest celebrity having twins at 45, you think, wow, this is fantastic. I, I can definitely wait. Yes. But everyone in the medical community knows anyone over 44 is using donor eggs, probably yes. over 43. Our fertility is so age-related, and anyone over 40 has about a 50% miscarriage rate. So the conversation, and I'm glad to hear that your OB, GYN, is really speaking to you early because the conversation has to start in your 30s. And in fact, we are now recommending women who can freeze their eggs for future use mm -hmm. to have this conversation at in your early 30s. The best time to freeze eggs is 31 to 38. So it, it really changes the conversation of family planning and birth control. And I'm a huge fan of egg freezing. Good. But I do think women that want kids and want more than one, they really have to try to do it under 40. Yeah, it's funny because Sarah and I always say, like, if you notice any gynecologist you'll meet, she has kids young. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yes. exactly. Because they know yeah. the facts. Um, I started trying to get pregnant when I was 38 and finally got pregnant at 40. Um, and fortunately, I'm good, also good with one 
child, but it's like we literally say to people, everyone under 30 that we meet. Yeah, Sarah and I are bullies on this topic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's verging on inappropriate, but we're like, hi, my name is Sarah. How old are you? You should freeze your eggs. It's yeah. like that's the yeah. directness of the conversation. Yeah. But, I think that's fantastic. But the realities of it are it's expensive. Yes. It's a how? process. Can you talk about like what that process is and how yes. expensive it is? Sure, yeah, and it is expensive. So basically you're doing the first half of an IVF cycle. Your ovaries really quiet, maybe with birth control, and then you hyperstimulate them to get as many eggs as you can with injections for about eight days. And then you remove the follicles from the ovaries uh, through an ultras- vaginal ultrasound. Uh, there's a special probe where it can remove the follicles. The cost is is on average twelve to fifteen thousand wow. dollars. And how many eggs would a woman in her early thirties get? Like eighteen or just some you know, crazy I think, amount? Yeah, I think in general, if you can get around eight to ten okay. uh, healthy eggs, and of course, not all eggs are created equal. And so I think it does matter on your age. Again, right. again, mm-hmm. under 38 is the recommended time to maximize all those great healthy eggs as opposed to the over 40, maybe not so healthy and, and poor quality egg. And to clarify, because I think a lot of people get confused between freezing eggs and freezing embryos. Yes. Can you explain the difference there? Because I think for single women, we're really talking about eggs. Exactly. So for many women, you can just preserve your own genetics. And that would be just removing your eggs and putting them on ice. If you use a partner that you know you will ultimately have a child with and you want to use their genetics, you can use their sperm. Or if you just want to use a donor, which you can, you can pick a donor at the cryobank, for example, and you can fertilize the egg and create an embryo. So you can either freeze eggs or embryos and the good news is the sort of process of freezing and defrosting has gotten to a point where you can go ahead and just freeze your egg and know it's not going to be any worse or better than freezing an embryo. Okay, so that's a huge advancement because when we were 35, right, you, you couldn't really couldn't freeze eggs. It wasn't really there yet, So, which is one reason why we're telling everyone else to do it because we so wish we'd had those exactly. eggs. Yeah. Freeze your eggs, everyone. Yeah. I mean, and I'll tell you, when you look at Facebook, companies like Facebook and Apple who are actually helping towards the cost of egg freezing – you know, I think they really are leaders in this field and true heroes for women. And I would love to see more companies doing this for women. I mean, it's right, so because, important as we enter the workforce. Right. The reality is many more women are choosing to delay having families because we're so focused on work and we love our jobs and we want to be as successful as possible. And like that really does lead to fertility issues later on if you're not being proactive. Exactly. So true. Yeah, I mean, I know for us, it's like before we were 35, we weren't even thinking about being moms because we were just we were working too much. It just wasn't realistic. I can't even express how much I admire people who are like able to have kids earlier and balance that pressure in your life of doing everything all at once, like building a career and building a family. I find that just like amazing. We couldn't do it. Yeah. So it's so important for people to think about it early on. So, Dr. Sherry, you talk a lot about the importance of talking to your doctor, having open conversation. And now I think for a lot of women, that's tough. Like, I know I feel very self-conscious about 
keeping my doctor in the office and asking her questions and even talking to her at all. Like I see doctors <laughs> like you as authority <laughs> figures and it's intimidating. And I, I'm just like, I don't feel worthy of sort of taking up the time. So like what, and I think a lot of women share that feeling. What do we do to sort of overcome that and open up a dialogue? Yeah, I think it's so important to find that doctor that you don't necessarily feel rushed. I mean, unfortunately, our healthcare system is so broken that the doctor doesn't really have a lot of time to get into a lot of the problems women are facing. It could be, how's your period? You having any problems? You're like, no, no, no. Okay, scooch down. And it can be that fast. So I think it's a problem. And when I looked at a lot of statistics, I found that 50% of women never talk about their vagina. They never talk about it to anybody. So if you're having any sexual issues or issues related to bladder infections, recurrent yeast infections, I mean, you, you can't really sacrifice a lot of your health issues because you're embarrassed. So I just encourage women to find that doctor where you feel comfortable. Um, take the time. And if you aren't finding that doctor, then you need to keep searching because they do exist. And it's it, it's it's partly just us saying to ourselves, like, hey, this is normal. This is nothing, you know, to feel embarrassed about. It's that thing you need to go in and do the superwoman pose before right. you have your appointment with your gynecologist since, like, say, like, I need to have this conversation. Yeah. Whatever it is. And the other issue, too, is a lot of doctors, especially on some of the sensitive subjects related to sex, they're not even comfortable talking about it. Right. right? Yeah. So this is the other problem that doctors have. I mean, we don't really have courses in medical school that allow you to, you know, have the skills to talk about the sensitive topics. Mm -hmm. So what people should do is read your book and find out the things that they should be talking about with their doctors. They can bring it in with them mm -hmm. and yeah. come in armed exactly. and ready to go. Okay, so... Another fun question that we have for you. Speaking of sexual health. Yes, exactly. Um, so we've been hearing a lot about the Mona Lisa. Yes. Like people are getting flyers in their mail about the Mona Lisa. What is the Mona Lisa? What does it do? Who is it for? Yeah. People definitely want to be her best friend, uh, which, <laughs> which I don't blame them. So the Mona Lisa is one of the laser treatments that was actually created by, uh, by an Italian doctor to treat vaginal dryness, which we call vaginal atrophy in menopause. Okay. But it's also useful for breast cancer patients who mm. cannot take estrogen and mm -hmm. have dryness as a result of, of estrogen being turned off. So it removes the dead cells. It stimulates collagen and blood flow production. And you actually get a hydrated vagina back, which is life-changing for many reasons, especially in the bedroom. And does it how long does it last for? Do you have to keep going in periodically? You do. So it's three treatments, six weeks apart, uh, and then it's once a year. And, okay. and that's your maintenance laser. And it really, really works. I'm such a big fan of it. And there are different types of lasers. But I'm a big fan of the Mona Lisa. Um, and I think it's just so valuable for all women to have. And is it painful? It's actually not. Uh, and it's four minutes. It's in the office. Wow. It's so quick. I think the most painful part is it's not covered by insurance. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> on average, it's about $3,000. There are different places that are doing it for less amounts. I'm a big fan of giving 40% off for all breast cancer mm. thrivers because I think it should be part of their 
chemotherapy. Yeah. After you get chemo, it, you should go for your Mona Lisa because it's the sexual health issues with our cancer survivors is is really so under discussed. Yeah, you talk about that in the book, and I think that yeah, I'm, that it's just clear that women should have that in their lives just because they had cancer that shouldn't go away. It is it is really an area that I would love to champion more in my Pink V chapter. There's a lot of conversations. You can't expect your oncologist to be talking about your sexual health. Right. I mean, it's hard enough to talk about it with your gynecologist, but, mm-hmm. you know, the oncologists definitely don't have the tools to start talking about, well, how's your sex life with mm-hmm. your husband? Are you dry? Are you Can you have an orgasm? I mean, it's just not going to happen. Right. So I think we really have to change the narrative. I mean, my book is is sort of the conversation starter for a lot of uh, changes I'd like to see in, in conversations as it relates to women's health and, and women's vaginas. Um, so, Dr. Sherry, what is one thing that all women can do to improve their intimate health today? Well, I, I think what's so important with your intimate health is first and foremost knowing your own personal preferences and what you like and what you need. And I think that varies from person to person. But I think before you can share your intimate health with a partner, you have to know what that really, what that definition is for yourself. If I told you 10 to 20 percent have never had an orgasm, they're not in touch with their intimate health. Why is that happening? I mean, there are many reasons related to our upbringing and our religion mm-hmm. and sort of the shame that we've been taught about embracing our bodies. So I'm a huge believer in women and teaching women and making sure they're masturbating, making sure they understand what they like so that they can at least start that conversation with a partner that they feel safe with. Our sexual health is so much affected by what's happening in our heads. I mean, our main erogenous zone is our brains, not like men. Uh It's all so mental for us. So when you look at what we go through in life, there are many issues that can affect sort of our sexual well-being. From work, you know, to finance, to children, to, you know, just just our own issues that we're having with depression. There's a lot of, you know, arrows that are flying at our sexual health. And I think it's important that you understand what's happening. Make it a priority and know that it's important for your well-being and for your overall health. Now, I have a five-year-old daughter. Like, at what age do I start introducing all of these things to her? How do I, like, when do you start going to an OBGYN? Right. Great question. So I believe that, like, our younger daughters are sort of our future for using appropriate terms with our bodies. And I think when they go through puberty and they start to see little breast buds at eight years old, you need to use the right terminology. When they see pubic hair on their vagina you know, around 12 or so, you need to use those terms. So I think age-appropriate terms to discuss what's happening to their body, uh, I think it's going to give them a lot of confidence to be able to talk comfortably about it. If I said 65% of women never have used the word vagina, why is this happening? (laughs) Wow. Why are we using code names? Yeah. My daughter does say vagina. My son says vagina, for goodness sake. And I think it's really important. I think that's where it starts. It starts with our, our young our young girls and boys to use appropriate terms when we're just talking about our bodies and and showing anatomy and 
I tend to see women or young young women somewhere between the age of 13 and 18. 13 to 15 is the average age you should go, but again, it depends on your pediatrician. Right. If you have a great pediatrician that does adolescent medicine, then there's really no need. But certainly when you go and the first meeting and first few visits, it's it's just a conversation. It's it's developing a, a relationship. I don't even necessarily have to do a pelvic or internal exam, but I'll teach them about their bodies and about doing breast exams. And I think it's the beginning of creating that comfort. That's fantastic. I'm going to be calling you in about yeah. I hope so. <laughs> Eight years? Uh-huh. I hope so. Uh, well, Dr. Sherry, thank you so much for bringing these all these issues that are in the vaginal shadows out <laughs> into the light um, and letting us talk about them. And because you know we deserve this health, uh, vaginal health, and all kinds of health. Yeah, so exactly. thank you yeah. for acknowledging it's, that. It's, uh, I'm really on a mission to create a vagina revolution to create a conversation. And of course, the vagina is a metaphor for what's important for women and their health and their sexuality, their sexual health and everything that should be a common conversation and shouldn't feel shameful. So I'm part of the revolution. I want you both to join me. And uh, I so appreciate you having me. Yes, we are part of the vagina revolution. Yay! I love it. (laughs) Excellent. Thanks, Dr. Sherry. Thanks for having me. Dr. Sherry's website is www.drsherry.com. She's on Twitter at Dr. Cheryl Ross, and she's on Instagram at Dr. Sherry R. You can also find her on Facebook. She's Dr. Sherry R. And we will have all of this information on our website, and you can buy Dr. Sherry's book on Amazon. Next up, the Hollywood hack inspired by our meditation declaration. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Okay, Liz, it's time for a Hollywood hack. This week's hack is inspired by the meditation declaration we made in episode 14. Yes, you had the idea that we should meditate at lunch every day for 10 minutes, and I surprisingly (laughs) agreed to do this. Since we set our intention, so many people have emailed to tell us about a free app called Insight Timer. Yeah. Basically, it's an app that allows you to search thousands of different meditations to find ones that work for you, and they're all free. Yeah, it's amazing. And they're all like very different meditations. Some of them are guided or instrumental. Some are for kids. Some are for sleeping. There are morning meditations. I did a Tibetan bowl one and realized I don't want to do Tibetan (laughs) bowl meditations. There are thousands of different meditations. Some are short, some are like more than an hour that you get to choose from. Yeah. And Sarah, since I love Hawaii, I searched for a Hawaiian music meditation. And sure enough, I found one. I think it's someone singing an apology over (laughs) and over in Hawaiian, um, which is actually awesome. It's all about letting go. So, Sarah, that is one of the Insight Timer meditations I've been enjoying. Oh, I love it. We bookmark it because I want to I wanna do it later. Yeah, you can do it with Violet. Oh, that sounds nice. Um, yeah, Insight Timer has literally something for everybody, and it's all free, and you can bookmark your favorite ones. And again, Insight Timer, this is not an ad. We just <laughs> like it. Yes. <laughs> By the way, Sarah, we should talk about how our meditation declaration is going. Yes. I mean, I would say it's going really well. 
Yeah, we haven't hit every day, but no. we've hit a lot of days. And sometimes when we miss it during lunch, we've been doing it at night. Yeah. Or in the morning. I've You've been, been doing, doing it in, in the, the morning. morning. Yeah. And what's exciting is that a lot of our listeners are joining with us in the meditation declaration. For anyone who wants to come along on our meditation journey, we've started an accountability group on Facebook. Just search Facebook for Happier in Hollywood and join our group. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Do you ask for what you want? Do you get it? We want to know. Email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast, give us a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps listeners find us. If you have any pressing questions about life in Hollywood, leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY21. Huge thanks today to our guest, Dr. Sherry Ross. Her book is Sheology, A Definitive Guide to Women's Intimate Health, period. And it's out now. Thank you to our producer, Jennifer Lai. Also, thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Twitter at Sarah M. Fain, and Liz is at Elizabeth Craft. We're also on Facebook. Search for the Happier in Hollywood group on Facebook and join in on the conversation. You can find us on Instagram, too. Don't forget to join us as we post our self-improvement September pictures every day this month using the hashtag HappierInHollywood. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. So, Dr. Sherry... We really didn't get into vajazzling to the degree that we thought we should. <laughs> no, we really should because it's it's worth talking about. But I will say this. If you've never seen it and you're confused by what vajazzling is, I have a visual vaginal library on my website at drsherry.com. And I have photos of all kinds of vajazzling. And you will see Swarovski jewels and glitter, and you can see tattoos <laughs> and piercings and it's some a things sight to behold. you may want to see and some things you may not want to see. But I think it's a lot of fun. And do, and so people really do this. It's a thing. People do it definitely. There's all kinds of way to glamorize your vagina. Is it like a long? Tr- How long does a vajazzle last? Well, as long as you want. I mean, I think it's a little bit uncomfortable for women because if you. It can cause a little irritation and itching <laughs> and get on your clothing. But, you know, if you have a weekend or a special event with your partner. Oh, my gosh. You, she's showing me a picture right now. And if you want. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, wow. And this is just a, a, a. Well, now. I have to say it does look itchy. Uh, could be. But this there's some with some right. jewels. Okay. The, Everybody right. must uh, go must to go. Dr. Oh, Sherry's website and look at these wow. photos. That's, that's yeah. actually kind of pretty. Yeah. There's um, some, some pretty, some not so pretty that you might see. Oh, goodness. Is that Jesus? <laughs> no. No. There's a yeah, tattoo. You have to go check it out. Jesus. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right. yeah, there's many good ones, and uh, I think it's really worth taking a visit. <laughs> Those okay. are some delightful vaginas. All right. Oh, <laughs> gosh. <laughs> well, if right, only... we've covered it all. <laughs> If only you could we've, see in radio. We have covered. I think we've oh, we've we've exhausted the, the jazzling. Ho- oh my god! Wait. Oh. oh. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, all right, Sarah. We have a lot of designing to do. We do. Yeah, it makes your vagina seem very yes. boring. I know. It really does. I feel right. I'm feeling really dull. Okay. <laughs>
Thanks, Dr. Sherry. <laughs> Anytime.